This episode of HR Rescue is sponsored by MBI Worldwide. MBI Worldwide provides compliant employment screening and safe hiring management solutions. Excellent customer service, integrity, accuracy, integration with existing HR software platforms, secure online account access, and a wide range of products and competitive pricing define why MBI Worldwide believes that good screening is smart business. Each day we get hundreds of questions from our clients and other small and mid-sized business owners about some of the most common HR issues. We figured if they have those questions, you might too. Let's provide a lifeline and share our answers to some of the most common scenarios. This is HR Rescue with your host, Jenny Stone. Here we go! Hello everyone and welcome to HR Rescue. I'm your host, Jenny Stone, and this podcast addresses some of the most common HR issues Uh, within every small business, and whether you're a newly certified HR professional, a business owner, or an office manager, the simple tricks and insights and tips that we give you uh, can help your business stay in compliance and help prevent a minor issue from becoming a serious problem. And we are super excited. This week, we are honored to have as our guest, uh, Jennifer Currents. And I'm sure she would be humbled for me to go through this whole uh, introduction, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, Jennifer is a the president of Encore Management Solutions and founder of Encore Academy, which is an online, on-demand training tool for HR professionals and emerging leaders. She began her career uh, with Accenture Consulting over 20 years ago and expanded into financial services, consumer goods, and nonprofit organizations. She is now a certified career coach, a professional professor of management at the University of Tampa, has been recognized as a thought leader by the International Society of Performance Improvement, and was named Tampa Bay HR Consultant of the Year in 2017. Uh, Jennifer will tell you her passion is working with individuals and businesses to create a high-performing workplace by enhancing their culture via individual coaching in the areas of leadership, career development, onboarding and outplacement, customized training for enhanced management skills, and leadership development, and small business advisory. Uh, she's also the author of an eight-book SHRM competency series, Making an Impact in Small Business. So, And also, she's my friend. So welcome, uh, Jennifer. We are thrilled to have you on this week's episode of HR Rescue. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm, I'm really excited, and I can't wait to share, you know, have a conversation with you and, and just talk through some of these top 10 tips for, for managers. Look forward to it. And, and I think one of the most important decisions that a company makes, Jen, and I'm sure you would agree, is begins with the and begins and ends with the individuals that you put in these frontline leadership roles. And the mistake that we often see uh, companies make is they expect people to automatically become good managers simply because they're good in a job. And they miss that key step of telling their managers what makes a good manager and setting those clear expectations about what the job is. So, in other words, a strong technical skill set alone is not enough when you assume a managerial role. Yes, because technical skill set and people skill set are two entirely different things. And it's perfectly wonderful, actually, to uh, promote people because they are technically skilled Um, and you have to give them the tools in order to be able to succeed. Interestingly, I just got off a phone call with with an individual, a colleague of mine, and he made the comment that there is no way to measure managerial ineffectiveness on a P&L, on an income statement, and or on a balance sheet and i was like oh that's brilliant there's not we can't we can't measure it by cost yet it's one of the biggest costs to an organization if you have an effective leadership so i think it's just a case of we don't know what we don't know and a lot of times once people learn and start to really think about these things and 
and digest them and become them. Such a better culture, such a better fit, and greater profit for the organization. And I think also building on that, too, is a lot of times they'll think that that cost comes from that um, retention only, that they're losing people. Because you always hear that saying used over and over again, uh, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave managers. However, it goes beyond that, too. If, if, if they're not able to properly manage people, that affects your bottom line, your customer service, your clients, your sales. It all trickles down in that area, not just whether or not someone is leaving your organization and costing you in that fashion. That's so true, because then if they stay, the good people leave, and then the poor performers stay because they don't have the the drive or the persistence or the education or experience to go someplace else. So then that just kind of is a downward spiral. So Jennifer is kind enough to uh, have identified uh, for us top uh, 10 tips for talent development. And what we're going to do uh, is kind of review each one of those one by one and, and build out a little bit on each one of them. So uh, Jennifer, let's start with number one, uh, which is knowing the, the big three labor laws, uh, Title VII, uh, the ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act, and the ADEA, and how they affect uh, the operations. I call them the big three because those are the big three uh, discrimination claims that come through the EEOC. So it's super important to understand them and to understand how they work and to understand how they affect our business. Um, so Title Seven, of course, covers the five areas of disagreement, uh, dis- discrimination, excuse me, discrimination, and those are the five protected classes of race, color, uh, nationality, gender, and religion. Um, so those are those five that we are not able to discriminate against as employers. Any employer over, what is it, Jenny? Do you know? Is it 15 or is it one? 15 for. Yeah. So it's, um, it, it's really interesting how that can play out in organizations. Nowadays, we're starting to see situations where the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community is looking at that, for that gender uh, protection for them. So that's coming through a lot. And in fact, there was a, um, not far from me, about 45 minutes from where I live in Tampa, there was a case about a year, year or two ago, um, where a company, where an employee of a, of a small company, I think they only had 50 or so employees, said, I want to have a sex change. And they said, you're fired. And she sued under, under Title VII. They settled out of court, so it, so it didn't go to court. But um, those kind of things can happen if we're not careful, and it can cost our organizations a lot of money. Absolutely. I also think that, that some of that even comes from, and, and having started my uh, career in like the recruitment kind of field, you have these, these managers and these supervisors conducting interviews, and because they're unfamiliar with these labor laws, they're asking questions or making hiring decisions based on biases and just not understanding um, the ramifications of, of those types of decisions, even from that, that initial candidate you know, application process. Um, so that's I, I know that's definitely one that plays. And, and of course, there's all kinds of other labor laws we could certainly talk about, you know, from, you know, FMLA to, uh, you know, drug screening. There's all kinds of stuff. Um, but definitely those three are the, the biggest that they are, um, you know, exposed to most often. Understanding how they work is, is an important part. Yeah. And it's not just um, the discrimination against those. The, the, the one that I like to use, the example I like to use is the Age Discrimination um, Act. Age Discrimination and Employment Act, ADEA, and that the the protected class there is anyone over the age of 40 is protected against age discrimination and also protects 
anyone for any reason being discriminated against for age. So if you're going to discriminate against someone, that's called reverse discrimination, right? So if you're going to discriminate against somebody for being too young, even though they might be perfectly qualified for the job, then you could be sued. So it's really important. I mean, the bottom line is really just to keep it job related. Keep it job related. Have your specifications very clearly outlined and have a job related reason for each one of those specifications. And that's the safest way to stay out of harm's way. That and training all of your managers on simple interviewing techniques, because that can be the biggest, one of the biggest issues, right? It's just the interviewing process, which I think you kind of alluded to earlier. Yeah, I actually worked for, and, and you know, Kim Bullahannis, I worked with Kim at Health Integrated, and she had actually uh, given a training anytime someone was promoted into a supervisory role or came into a supervisory role, she did like a kind of a management 101 training that, that covered all of those basic things that, you know, I think we as HR professionals or people who have worked um, in that department, uh, so to speak, we assume people are going to know that as well. And, and it was very helpful for them to even just have a basic understanding, you know, just as an example for FMLA, knowing if your employees called out for three days in a row, then that should be a trigger for you uh, to, you know, find out if there's FMLA, you know, it's, it's things along those lines that, that definitely, um, you know, can help them be stronger in that perspective and protect your organization. So, yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to number two. Um, so our second one that we have uh, is develop business acumen to avoid silos. So business acumen is understanding all areas of the business. Acumen is being able to totally get it. Um, I think of a uh, someone who has mechanical acumen is someone who, if I go up to him and say, him or her, and say, hey, um, my car is making that rat-a-tat, ding-ding noise. And they're like, oh yeah, that's your carburetor. Right? That's acumen. That's really understanding the ins and outs of what makes your car tick, or in this case, your business tick. And if you, one of the things about business acumen is understanding the environment that you work in. There are a lot of different areas about it, but um, one of the areas is your environment. So there's the internal environment and the external environment. And the internal environment is the thing that can really help you prevent the silos from building up and staying there and solidifying. What I mean by internal environment is that cross-functional knowledge. So from HR's perspective, um, when, when I took a role in a small organization in consumer goods, I was the only HR person. I was their first HR person there, HR department of one. And people were like, why do we need HR? What are you doing here? People actually told me that. And so I had to go in and really prove my worth. In order to do that, I knew I needed the knowledge. So I went and I spent time with the head of sales and with sales individuals asking them questions. I sat in on customer service and their calls and watched how they went through the process of, of inputting orders. Um, I talked with the marketing people. I sat down with the logistics guy and understood where all of the goods came from and what the seasonality was and how long it took to get from point A to point B and where they went to the warehouse and where all the different warehouses were and how that worked and why we had that business decision. The benefit of that is that that really helped me build my credibility and human resources and it broke down those walls. So then I had people calling me for advice. Hey, Jen, what do we do with this? You know, what do we do about this? Whereas before, had I not taken the time to build those relationships, that cross-functional relationship to understand the business, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been calling me and I wouldn't have had as good relationships with them. 
So how would you um, how would you respond uh, if if a business owner were to say we just don't have time for that right we this person we need somebody to start managing and supervising this group but they also were still doing a lot of the transactional and hands on work as well we just don't have time for that how would you how would you respond to that if they didn't have time for me to talk to me I would say okay then let me just come in and watch you let me do an on, on the job training I'll just observe and then I'll ask you questions you know at another time. And what about the transparency issue that sometimes some organizations, and I only speak of this from experience working with small businesses where there's kind of like, you know, a lot of things that they hold close to their vest that they're not comfortable um, doing. How would you answer someone who said, well, I don't know if I want somebody to know all about our logistics or all about that doesn't have anything to do with their job. How would you respond to something like that? That's a really good question. And there's so many ways we can go with that. First of all, to all of the CEOs out there, I'd say, why is that happening? What are you scared of? What are you, what are you afraid of? We need to have that type of transparency so that everybody can work together. Um, I've experienced that as well, where we had people who were like, I'm not going to give you that information because on, on her part, um, it was my assumption that the reason she was acting like that is because she didn't want anybody else to take her job. You know, there was that kind of uh, conflict, internal conflict in the in the office with one other person, and I I sensed that she didn't want to provide any information because she was scared that the other person would kind of jump in. Oh well, I can do that too, so we don't really need her anymore. So I think there's a little bit of fear there. Um, so that really has to be a top down thing. Um, and I would encourage HR professionals out there to go and, and continue to ask questions if that happens and build up a really good relationship with your CEO, with your senior leaders, and then start asking the question, you know, why is this happening? All right. So our next three that we're going to talk about are all related to coaching skill. So we'll start with the uh, coaching skill, acknowledge and validate. Yeah. So let me first start by saying that coaching is it's a trending word nowadays. We hear how coaching skills are important for managers and for HR professionals to have. In fact, um, in two days, I'm flying up to Alexandria, Virginia to teach a class at Sherm headquarters on uh, effectiveness in workplace for coaching and uh, mentoring. I butchered that title. That's not what it's called, but <laughs> coaching and mentoring in the workplace. So there's there's a lot of, it's getting a lot of popularity in the workplace now. And the reason is because when you have a coaching environment, you have, you have a stronger culture. It really ends up showing in the bottom line. Coaching environments are infinitely more profitable than those that don't have a strong coaching environment. I don't have the statistics in front of me at the moment, but coaching is building in popularity. And that's the reason why, because studies are showing that it is important for businesses from a business standpoint. So acknowledging and validating is just the, the ability to, when you're having a conversation with someone, be able to say, be able to acknowledge where they are, meet them where they are, acknowledging their, their feelings, acknowledging their viewpoint. Notice I don't say agree with them. You don't have to agree in order to acknowledge where they're coming from. All you're doing is, as Dr. Covey says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. So acknowledging where they are and understanding their viewpoint. You can do that by paraphrasing with them, mirroring them, parroting. These are all the phrases that we can use to and, and tools we can use in order to help them feel like they're acknowledged. And then validating their feelings. I had a 
an employee come in one time and sat down when I was a HR director. She came into my office, closed the door and said, my manager is mean to me. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what do I do with this? Right? So I, if I were acknowledging her, I'd say, oh, I understand that you seem really frustrated by this, understanding, trying to acknowledge where she is. And she could have said something like, um, yeah, you know, she just, she always talks over me and never gives me the appropriate work that I need. And I really feel belittled. Some of you HR professionals might have, our managers might have heard things like this before, right? So <laughs> to validate that would simply sound like, yeah, if you feel like you're being condescended to, then of course you feel frustrated. You know, you're just validating, you're, you're valuing where they are, you're acknowledging where they are and valuing and validating that it's okay to feel that way. And what happens when you have somebody do that? <sighs> you just kind of let down your guard and you're not constantly trying to prove yourself. It almost, it, it can really cut your employee relations time in half because then they don't feel like they have to continually prove themselves to you. So you're understanding where they are, asking them open-ended questions to really get to the heart of the matter and then... Um, Solving, solving the issue with them instead of for them or telling them what to do. Is that also kind of that, that extra step that you say, if I understand you correctly, this is what you're feeling and this is, you know, kind of that, uh, what I, you may have meant by mirroring that, like, you know, saying it back to them so they understand that you really truly listened. It helps your listening skills as well to, to you know, repeat that back and make sure you have a good understanding of what they're saying to you. Yes, yeah, so that paraphrasing, parroting, um, mirroring is that and mirroring is also mirroring their body language because body language is 55% of our communication power, right? So if you're, if, if you're sitting forward like this, then I might sit forward like this. If you're sitting back in your chair like this, then I might sit back in my chair like this. And because it just helps, it's, it's weird, it's like this psychological. And a lot of times we do this without even thinking about it. But when we do think about it, it's this psychological uh, trigger that has that similar to me aspect, right? You're establishing common ground because, hey, I'm like you, you're like you're like me. Okay, I can kind of relax a little bit and be less defensive around you. So from acknowledge and validate to curiosity over judgment, what's tell me a little bit about that that coaching skill. Um, have you ever, if you're sitting in your office at work and you have that person, you hear that person talking down the hallway you hear that voice and you're like, oh no, oh, please keep walking. Please keep walking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we all have those kind of people. That's normal. Yeah, I just validated and now I acknowledge that piece. It's completely normal to do that. Um, and I'm going to challenge all of, all of us to really stop with the judgment and be more curious instead. There's a, there is a, there's a reason that people do what they do. And we have no idea what's going on. We only see the person who shows up to work. We have a whole nother life, um, you know, that we have at home or in our personal lives or our experience, our past, the things that make us who we are today. So if we have that person in our lives, we're going to ask to assume positive intent. Assume positive intent and be curious about what the other person is feeling and thinking. So... <laughs> I actually did this with my ex-husband and he has no, he has no idea that I was doing this, but I really sat down and I was like, you know, I am, I am judging him 
after I went to coaching school and learned this this tool. I'm judging him, and I'm I think that he's you know being a jerk and all of this stuff. And I really had to stop and say, okay, what are the facts? What am I doing? And how could he, being curious, how could he be viewing my actions? And for the first time. I've been divorced for 10 years, so it's been a while. But for the first time, I finally started to understand how he could be interpreting my actions. And it really was kind of like, oh, well, that's, but that's not how I, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm doing. But he doesn't know that. So just opening yourself up to curiosity and being humble enough to really put yourself in another person's shoes can be really, really powerful. Okay, wonderful. I'm going to have to try that. Although I I don't think I would talk to my ex-husband again, but uh, <laughs> it would make something where you can actually go back and think about the times where you may have um, jumped to a reaction. And I think that's what we do a lot, especially when you have what we always have, that problem child at work, right? That person that we know that some something there's there's something going on and rather than immediately jumping to some type of judgment or determination before we let's let's get curious about what's what's truly happening here what's transpiring before we make that judgment so that certainly makes sense it is it's that jumping to conclusions well last time you know they did this and so of course they're going to do it that way again this time well then ask first of all what can you do about that um are you providing the guidance that that person needs are you asking the right questions and are you asking why? I mean, I think that's what we sometimes skip over entirely. Uh, just you know, speaking to a client that I had, there was a an issue that was happening outside of work related to, to Facebook, um, where there were some interpersonal relationships going on that were being put on Facebook with the company name and some other things happening. And you know, it was it was so much you know geared in one direction where I was like, okay, well, let's let's ask the question like, why is this happening? Why is this animosity happening among them? Why is this person you know? And and it really got them to kind of sit back instead of immediately jumping to so and so post on Facebook, I want to fire them. It came down to let's let's talk about it and use that that curiosity and try to make a determination. What's what's the why behind what's happening before we go to that judgment immediately to that you know let them go right so. Okay, so the next coaching skill we have listed is asking powerful questions. So what is what is that? If you want to be more curious instead of judgmental, a great way to do that is to ask empowering questions. So what's the difference between an empowering or powerful question and other questions? An, an empowering question is one that is open-ended, meaning it invites conversation instead of just looking for a yes or no answer. So yes or no answers start with, um, do you, are you, is that, those are the, the starters of those types of questions. And you're going to get a yes or a no. And so just to be clear, those can be good sometimes. If you have, if you need a yes or a no answer, if you really need that definitive, defined information, then that's a great way to do it. However, if you want to get more qualitative data and more information about what's going on, start your questions with what or how. What or how can really um, invigorate the conversation and get it a little more lively. You can start them with who, why, or where as well. Um, they don't work, in my experience, they don't work as well as starting with how or what. Um, and be careful with why. Why can be a really, really good question, especially the five whys, kind of dig digging down to find the root cause analysis. But it, it can also be mistaken. So if you're using the term why 
really watch your tone of voice, which is 38% of our communication power is our tone of voice. So really, really make sure that you are asking why with complete sincerity and curiosity. Um, or it'll sound like, well, why did you do that? Mm. You know? <laughs> yeah. So be careful about that. Yeah, that tone, for sure. <laughs> the what or how can be really powerful um, to get a lot of information. I had actually was taught once for a mentor to do that, um, especially when somebody came in very volatile and very upset about something and said, well, what would you like to see happen? Yes. Because sometimes you assume that, again, that's ju- you know, ju- jumping to a judgment. You assume what, what they're going to, what, what they want. And you may find out entirely it's not. Well, I just want so-and-so to stop doing that. Or I just, you know, and then you realize it's not, you know, what you, where you, where you thought it was going to hit. Because we immediately assume the worst, right? And so sometimes we just ask that question, well, what do you want to see happen? You, you'll find that it's completely different than you may have thought. I love that. That is a great question. And here's another one. If I have an employee relations issue, um, what do you want to see happen? And then I follow it up with, what are you willing to do? Right. Okay. That's awesome. That's a good one. I like that one because then it's like, they're not looking to me to fix all of the world's problems, uh, you know, putting it back on them. And, and it can be empowering too. What are you willing to do to fix this issue? You know, how, how do you want to proceed and put them, put them back in the driver's seat? That's awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to have to remember that one. I'm glad we have this recorded. So, <laughs> Um, okay, so number six, Jen, we've got communication uh, using the contrasting technique to ward off defensiveness. I got this tip from the book Crucial Conversations. It has like four or five authors, uh, but Crucial Conversations is a must read for all HR professionals and managers, honestly. It's it's really good information, and I, I'm going to read it again. Um, eventually, I have, it all, uh, have all the little flags on the end of it as well. But one of the techniques that I committed to memory through my first reading was the contrasting technique because it's so powerful for us um, when we have conversations with individuals who get defensive immediately. So the contrasting technique works like this. If you sense that someone is getting defensive or you feel you know them and so you feel like they might get defensive, it's a proactive technique to ward off that defensiveness. And it sounds like this. You start, it only has two parts. The first part is what I don't want to happen is for you to feel like I am blaming you for the loss of that account. What I do want to know is what happened so that we can prevent that from happening again. See how that works? And immediately, oh, it keeps them from jumping to conclusions or making that false judgment and then opens them up to being able to explain the situation, what happened. And it also turns it more into a proactive conversation. Yeah. Okay. So uh, building on the communication, number seven we have is the three steps, stating the observable fact, make it a business related and stating a new desired behavior. Sounds very much like a uh, performance improvement plan in a way. Yeah, it it kind of is. And let me just start off by saying there's really a step um, zero. (laughs) It kind of is four step because you really have to get yourself into the right mindset before you even have this this communication um, with another individual. And the um, you have to really insert your curiosity and making sure that you are you're going in with curiosity, you're you're dropping all of your own personal defensiveness and judgment and really want to go in with a feeling of uh, helpfulness to the individual. So really stating an observable can't speak observable fact, uh, that can sound like, 
I've noticed that. Let's see, what's a good example? I've noticed that you walk by my desk every morning without saying hello. Um, I've noticed that it states an observable fact. It makes it objective instead of subjective, which can cause that defensiveness. Make it business related. Um, okay, that might not have been a good example, but I'll, I'll try to go with it and see if I can make it work here. I, <laughs> I've noticed that you walk by my desk every morning at 10 after 10. Or, you know, what time does work start? <laughs> 10 after 8. Um, and making it business related, we have a meeting every morning at, at 8 o'clock, a, a, a 10 minute huddle. Then the third step is stating a desired behavior. So step one, state the observable fact, making it objective versus subjective. Step two is make it business related. We have a business meeting that you are missing every day at eight o'clock when you walk by. Um, and then you can also add in something there before I go on to step three, add in why it's important. This is the time every morning where we get together and we learn what's going on with each of the other people so that we can work better as a team. And you are a really important part of our team. Step three is state the new desired behavior. So I'd like to help you work out a way where you can make sure that you're here by eight o'clock every morning so that we can um, include you as part of the team because you're very, very much a valued member. So being those three steps, getting yourself in the right mindset, of course, and then stating those three steps can help drive um, the behavior that you want as a manager. Yeah, and that's and that's a good way to be able to uh, broach a, a a problem or whatever the case may be uh, in such a way where it's not it's not attacking. It doesn't put somebody on the defense, and it's something with with the observable fact. You can't you can't really refute that because it's it's you know they, they know, and and by taking that kind of way with it, it, it really turns it a little it turns it on on the dime to where it's now it's on it's on them you know, to understand why. I mean, everyone else is here. So now, it all, I mean, if you were saying that to me, I'd be like, oh, first of all, someone's noticing. Second of all, wow, they're really missing me at this. And I'm an important part. I mean, wow, it's not just, hey, you have an attendance issue. It's we're missing you here because you're an important part of the team. And now it kind of puts it to where, okay, this is important for me to be there. And it definitely, I, I could see if you were saying that it takes me less on the defensive of, oh, they, they're noticing I'm late or, you know, whatever the case may be. So that's awesome. Is that also from that same book? Um, no, I got that from Sherry, S-H-A-R-I. I can't remember her last name. I'll find it and I'll send it to you so you can put it in the notes. But she has a lot of YouTube videos out there and she's she's wonderful. Um, she gives the example of how to tell someone they smell. Oh, that that is a tough one. That is definitely a tough one. And she uses this. The She has, I think, an eight-step process. But um, I, I kind of brought it down and made it more business-related. So just a state the observable fact make a business statement surrounding that and then state the new behavior. She goes into a lot more depth that might help the listeners. I think I remember seeing that YouTube video because I think she's walking around the front of the room in the video. I think I, re I remember watching bits and pieces of that at one point. So yeah, I, I put when I found it about a year ago. Well, I'm a follower, so I probably saw it on your LinkedIn. <laughs> so tell me about number eight, Jen, the 10, 10, 10 rule. Um, I wanted to say something else about that before we move on. Okay. Um, communication in that example that I gave one thing that might be important to add in there is to ask you know I've noticed that you're late every morning you're 10 minutes late every morning what's going on ask a what or how question to stay away from the um, you know defensiveness ask a what or a how question stay curious to 
get them to understand, to, to kind of find out what is happening first before you launch into, you know, you're late type of a scenario. Or maybe you say it after, um, you know, we have a team meeting, you're a really important team and we miss you. What's going on? And get them to un- kind of speak out what's happening and then work together to find a solution. So that can be really important to another real key to managing relationships and building that strong connection. Well, yeah, because once they once they go on the defensive, you've lost the conversation at that point. It's it's very very difficult to to recover once you know that defense. You know, somebody goes on the defense and and now is kind of feeling and attacked is probably not the right word, um, but is feeling kind of you know put you know under the spotlight at this point that something's going on. And and I think you know instead of saying why are you late, like you said, where what or how might be better. What's going on is more of an open ended where I'm not focusing entirely on the fact that you're not showing up on time I want to know what's happening so that I can help you and that definitely is a different way to ask yeah so 1010 rule so when you're making decisions one key way to um, kind of help you make the decision on what to do how to behave what how to if you want to have that conversation with that person is to follow the 10 10 10 rule and you might have heard of this before I didn't I didn't come up with it I got it from somewhere out there. Um, Is it going to matter 10 minutes from now? Is it going to matter 10 months from now? Is it going to matter 10 years from now? So sometimes we might say, well, heck yeah, it's going to matter 10 minutes from now. You know, this person is keeps coming at me and I need to shut them down or whatever. Again, that's us getting defensive to think in that type of way, but we do sometimes. Um, But then ask yourself, is it really going to matter 10 months from now? Yeah. Probably not because this is just a behavioral issue. And then it's certainly not going to matter 10 years from now because I'm probably not even going to know that person. So um, now there might be other situations that might be reversed. Is it going to matter 10 minutes from now? No. Is it going to matter 10 months from now? Yeah, because based on what I do right now, how I handle the situation, it's going to affect whether we get that account, um, you know, or in HR terms might be if we get sued or yeah. if that person on board that that star employee that we've been after you know and how what that's going to affect us from 10 years from now as well that's awesome and that's a good that's even something good um from a personal standpoint i think that i think you actually shared that with me once uh when there was just a a, a budding of the heads between my myself and and someone else who just had completely different styles and, and so forth and and i think you would actually is some version of that where like you, know, you have to ask yourself that question does it really affect things and, and if it doesn't then you're 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 focusing time and energy and uh, onto something that isn't going to matter 10 minutes or 10 months from now so that does make sense yeah I remember clearly when I was seven I don't know why I remember this when I got upset about something and my mom used to tell me this is going to matter five years from now like she would use the five-year rule um so I kind of, I heard the 10, 10, 10 rule somewhere down the line as I become more of a professional. But if you, if you can't remember 10, 10, 10, remember five, is this going to matter now? Is it really worth getting upset over? Right. Um, well, and if you're a teenager, you'll say, yes, it will. <laughs> <laughs> they always do. <laughs> okay. So uh, number nine, uh, which is a, a big one of mine is that the, well, I, I talk about delegation a lot when we do um, trainings with managers and supervisors, but delegating and training, let's talk a little bit about that. I was at the um, HR Tampa Expo. It's a one day conference here in Tampa, listening to our good friend, Tony Moore speak. And he said, there are people who can't or don't. And 
he says, people who can't, um, can't do something, well, why can't they do it? Maybe it's because they don't understand it. So they need to be trained on how to do it. So those are the kind of people that you can train up, provide them the training that they need, um, whatever that might look like. It might be, <laughs> if you're a bibliophile like me, it might be reading a book. It might be um, watching HR Rescue um, on repeat. <laughs> it, might be, it might be a course or going to a conference or just getting a mentor or a coach. So those are some of the types of training that we have. Um, as I'm talking about training, actually, let me just insert a little key nugget here. And that is the 70-20-10 rule. So 10% of our learning, and this is a, an ATD fact. You probably are aware of it, Jenny. Yeah. So 10% of our training, um, ATD, by the way, is what is it? Association for Talent Development. Yeah. Yeah. So 10% uh, of our learning is done through classroom training. 20% of our learning is done through coaching, which basically reiterates that classroom training and helps us remember it as we're, as we're going about our daily lives. But 70% of our training of, the, of what we learn is done through regular, consistent, daily, on-the-job practice. So we have to go to the training, the 10%, the classroom training in order to learn the skills. We have to have the coaching, that 20%, in order to reiterate the skills and remind us of them. But then we need the 70% to consistently do those things so that they become a habit and we were able to change, change for good. <laughs> so now what would you say about the, the delegation? Cause quite often uh, supervisors and managers, especially if they're, they're newly made into supervisors and managers, sometimes they have that, that difficulty of letting something go and, and learning to delegate without feeling that what we were talking about earlier, like that fear for their job. What would you, what would you say to that, to the delegation piece? I would think that would make a difference of, you know, how are, why is the person not doing the work? Um, how do you know when to delegate? Ask the person. Do they have a, a time constriction? Um, is it a matter of training? Can we fix it through training? Um, maybe it's maybe it's a growth issue. A lot of companies, a lot of my clients and potential clients right now are really going through a huge growth spurt, and they're looking at how they can do more with less. <laughs> but then sometimes you just can't do that. So sometimes have to delegate to other individuals within the team, um, a lot of times we can create space by automation um, so that sometimes if we have a one person's job gets uh, made more efficient through automation, then they can be delegated new tasks and taken off a, a task can be taken off one person's plate onto another person's plate. Did I answer your question? Yeah, and I, th I think building on that, too, is that sometimes by asking the question about delegation, either why someone's struggling or why someone does not want to give away some of their work, sometimes if by just asking the questions, you can discover there are other underlying problems. We had a client uh, who's an instructional design company that um, was having some issues with people um, – uh, not only getting their work done, but, you know, delegating in general, because only a few people knew how to use certain programs. So because there was no cross training and there was no um, ability for anyone else to learn it, all that work was being put on just a few people. So that was increasing pressure. It was, you know, causing a lot of issues for them. So, you know, sometimes just asking those questions, you can find out what there might be an underlying problem that, that you're not aware of. So. And as, as managers and as leaders in our organizations, I think it's really important for us to check in with those people 
you know, from time to time because they might not feel comfortable raising their hand and saying, I have too much work. I can't get it all done. You know, um, saying no can be a big problem. So being, giving them that psychological safety to say no or to ask for help can be really powerful in building a strong culture and empowering your employees. And we could do a whole podcast on learning to say no, right? Our last one is number 10, outsource. Yeah. So when training and delegating don't work, the last step is to outsource it. And a lot of times this is really powerful. Um, Again, trending as the gig economy, right? We have a lot, 99% of all businesses in the United States are small businesses. And that's defined as businesses with employees under um, 500, by under 500 employees. So a lot of those are solopreneurs like myself. I have, I, I am, I own my own company. I'm the only employee right now. And although I just got an intern, whoop, whoop, I love her. <laughs> so a lot of times th- there is that specialist out there and you don't have it in your own business because you are a small business. And so you don't have, you know, in my case, I do corporate training. So I have a lot of clients who don't have a training department. In fact, they have an HR department of one. So they will call in, they will call me to say, hey, I need some employee training. Can you train my managers? Uh, can you do a team training for us? So, um, and I do a lot of coaching. I'm a certified coach as well. So I, I'm able to take that step for them and work one-on-one with individuals. So that's an example of how you can outsource, but there are so many different things you can outsource. You can outsource um I mentioned earlier some types of uh, technology. You can use technology. You can outsource to a a PEO to help deal with some of the payroll issues um, and some of that basic compliance administrative tasks, which then allows us, frees us up to do more of the the strategic things to help our businesses grow. It can be really, really powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, also coming from a a company of one, right? So I I think that um, you don't realize how many, uh, how many resources there are available to you for certain things that you can get for, you know, because small businesses is always the bottom line is is how much is it going to cost me, right? But then that's also where they should ask that 10, 10, and 10, right? So is it going to affect me in 10 minutes? No, but 10 months or 10 years down the road, this type of, of, you know, training and development and and these types of things I'm going to provide for my organization are going to help me strategically in the long run. So that, that we could certainly apply that particular rule in that case. So I think, you know, Jen, from from today, I mean, I think regardless of what else we expect from our managers, facilitating employee learning and development should be a non-negotiable competency, right? Um, Work groups in which employees report to their supervisor or someone else at work, um, somebody that cares about them as a person who talks to them in their career progress and encourages their development, um, provides opportunities to learn and grow, because sometimes it's not always a movement up. Sometimes it's just something something more to challenge them or something more to provide that, that career growth for them. And it gives you, I think, in turn, that better productivity, better customer, lo- customer loyalty. I mean, it, these are all, you know, developmental elements that are sometimes scarce, right? So this is uh, very, very important. It's that discretionary effort, you know, that we get, that we put into as employees. We're going to work for somebody who really cares about us and that we, we have a purpose. You know, Dan Pink calls it um, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. We want to work. That's what drives us. That's what motivates us as human beings. Um, the autonomy to do our own thing 
the mastery, doing the things that we know are well and that opportunity for growth. And then purpose, having a purpose for what we do, not just being a cog in the wheel, but being given the big picture, have that transparent environment so that I know what I'm doing as I'm sitting here with my nose down on my desk is affecting the company as a whole. And that just gives me a bigger purpose. Um, and then there's corporate social responsibility that goes into that too. If we're we have a charity or something that we, we can work with. Oh my gosh, we could we could go on for hours, yes. couldn't we? <laughs> Who knows? We may have more segments, you and I. So I, I do want to thank you for your time today, uh, Jennifer. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about you and, and Encore Academy and the, the services and so forth that you provide? Where can they find you? Uh, I named my business focusing on the core of on the core of your business, which is your people. So that's Encore, Encore Management Solutions, which is spelled O-N-C-O-R-E. It's a purposeful misspelling. <laughs> so O-N-C-O-R-E-M-G-T.com is my website. And then you can also go to EncoreAcademy.com for recertification um, for HR professionals, as well as we're planning, me and my intern are planning to put in some management training courses there as well. So that's uh, a small but mighty place that is really growing. All right. Wonderful. Well, we will definitely uh, make sure and share that with our listeners and viewers because we'll be on uh, YouTube as well. Uh, so we'll be sure and, and share that information. And I do appreciate your time today for appearing on HR Rescue with me. And uh, hopefully this will be the, the first of many times that you and I get to chat. Thank you, Jenny. It was great. Yeah, I always love chatting with you. Well, wonderful. You have a good rest of your Monday and tell your students so I said hello as you go off to teach class and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the HR Rescue Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The HR Rescue Podcast is made possible by HR Shield, the firm consulting group of Tampa, and your host, Jenny Stone. Here we go! This podcast was recorded in Tampa, Florida and Greenville, South Carolina, and was produced by Lonnie West at LRW Media Studios. Find us in your favorite podcast app or online at hr-rescue.com.